If you want to understand how marketing is changing and how that will affect your brand, you need Future Proof, the podcast from Kantar that tells you how to find growth. Created in conjunction with Side Business School at Oxford University, the Future Proof podcast provides a unique perspective on what truly makes a difference. To understand what's winning in marketing, subscribe to Future Proof, a Kantar podcast now. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. You want to know what the best email marketing service is for your small business? Well, I've got the team for you. Emailtooltester.com is the place to find reviews and tutorials of newsletter services like ActiveCampaign, MailChimp, GetResponse, and many more. Download their free comparison spreadsheet that will help you find the best email marketing service among many providers. Just Google Email Tool Tester Comparison Template to find it. Again, just Google it. Email Tool Tester Comparison Template to find it. You know, I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the Social Index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got David Rubin. He's the CMO at the New York Times. He's the Times' first ever CMO, and he spearheaded much of the brand work around the Truth is Hard campaign for the last two years. He's going to give us a, a lowdown on how the Truth is Hard campaign has evolved over the years with He Said, She Said, last year about this time at the Golden Globes to the new edition, which is called The Truth is Worth It. We also get into the daily podcast, as well as some new products and apps around cooking, and obviously the crossword puzzles. I think you're going to enjoy his version of what marketing looks like to him and uh, the publishing model today. I hope you enjoy this show with David Rubin. David, welcome to the show. Thank you, Alan. Great to be here. Let's, let's start off with your background. Where did you start your career and 
What's been the path to become CMO at the New York Times? Well, I, I guess uh, if you take me back that far, I started uh, out of undergrad in politics, actually. Uh, my first two years were in Washington, D.C., working for a, a congressman from the south side of Milwaukee. And then I did two years working in the uh, Clinton Treasury Department in economic policy. Uh, so I did four years of that path. And, uh, and then I went to business school and kind of made a, a pivot from there. And in business school, I, I interned at Unilever, the consumer products company, and ended up joining there full time and spent a dozen and a half years or so at Unilever, consumer products, packaged goods, marketing, really did two things. The, I worked on the launch of Axe into the United States. So that's, uh, that was certainly a defining moment and uh, a lot of fun. And then I uh, switched over. I was mostly with Unilever in Chicago for most of this time, not all. And I switched over to their hair care division and um, worked on the U.S. hair care business. It happened to be there during a, a turnaround of that business. And they ended up becoming the largest hair care manufacturer in the United States uh, for the first time in 30, 40 years. And uh, that included an acquisition of Alberto Culver's business at the, as well. So I did that. And in 2014, I left consumer products and went to Pinterest to be their head of brand, uh, in some ways a similar role to here. Uh, and I did that for a couple of years and then came over to uh, the New York Times about uh, not quite three years ago. Wow. So you've, you've gone from uh, politics to consumer goods, Axe being one to Pinterest, to the New York Times. That's that's cutting across a lot of different areas. Um, any, you wouldn't have predicted that to, if, if you could script it from the beginning? <laughs> no, no. Just the, the notion of, of politics to acts by itself is a head-scratcher. <laughs> but uh, what, you know, were there any, any you know, pivotal moments that you can remember you know, or any mentors that, that can stand out to you along the way? Yeah. I think the on the pivotal moments part, I mean, I think the the through line for me, and, and I joked before, I mean, I wouldn't have scripted that entire path myself, of course. And I think that that's the beauty of anyone's career, but particularly of marketing is the ability for serendipity to come in. But, you know, for me, the through line is that all of those jobs had an element of mass marketing. You know, in politics, you, you have something you believe passionately about. And you're trying to get a larger audience to to care about it and agree with you. And then consumer products, you know, obviously they, there's a lot of differences, but it, well, there are some similarities there. And then even from an axe to Pinterest and the New York Times, I think again, think you know, those are I think are more in common than the, than the politics part. But what they all have in common is is it was marketing roles meant to have a you know, a mass impact and meant to get a, a large group of people having a deeper emotional connection with something, you know, with a product or service. And that's been the thing that I think really defines my career and has been the, you know, the, the underlying fun part of it all is trying to influence, you know, and be a part of culture on a mass scale. That makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. Well, let's talk about the New York Times. And, um, I had done some of my research and I read this stat that I think is true. That it's been about 10 years since there was brand focused TV for the New York Times. 
before the Truth is Hard campaign debuted in 2017. Mm-hmm. Do I have that right? We, it was hard to pinpoint the exact previous year. That 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 number is about right. That's right. Okay. All right. And and what was the goal? How did it play out? And most people, I think, that are listening to this um, have seen that ad, but we'll probably link to it as well. Uh, maybe you want to start with just a short description and then tell us how it all played out. For you. Yeah. So it was... Um, it was early March of 2017, so not super long after the election. And uh, you know, I think right after the election, there was a lot of um, there were a lot of questions, a lot of change, a lot of uncertainty, and a lot of people very interested in the news and and asking questions about what the future would look like. And and so we thought that. Uh, we thought that was a really good environment to, you know, there was a whole debate going on. Fake news was very much a top of mind concept. The role of the platforms was being questioned and how, what happened in the election. And so it felt like, you know, and we were very much in the news ourselves as well as reporting the news. And it felt like a really good time to try to tell a bit of our story in addition to having our story be told naturally. And so we, um, we thought the Oscars would be a really good canvas. We knew that there'd be a lot of discussion about the election and where the country was going in, in that platform and around it. And so we decided to tell an ad. And it was really important to us in that advertisement to talk about what we thought we did and to not set ourselves up to be to have a particularly strong political view or be oppositional to any one party or person. And so we did this ad, uh, The Truth is Hard. And we talked. The ad talks about statements on all sides, and how it is difficult to know what the facts are and are not. And we then finish with a series of statements, and one of them is "The truth is hard." And then the New York Times. And I think we see that ad as a statement about the process of journalism, and about how journalism. You know, our, our readers are on a journey for the truth. We don't intend that ad to be a statement that the New York Times is the truth or the only truth or anything like that. We think it's about the process that our readers go through to discern for themselves what the truth is, and that we believe that journalism is a really critical input to that process. Independent, original, reporting, fact-based, and that's really what the ad's about. And so uh, we were fortunate enough that a lot of people uh, liked that message and the reaction was really strong. In addition to the response immediately in the moment, the ad has gotten tens of millions of views. Some of the print versions of it, we see, we still see today. But we saw very much, um, you know, people took them and put them in their restaurant windows. I mean, remember, this is an ad now, right? And people are putting it in their in their own businesses. We happen to have a, a free speech and a freedom of the press protest in front of our building. And people were holding up our print ad for that. You can today buy that print ad on our on a, a framed in a nice frame. I don't mean this as a plug for our merchandise, but, <laughs> um, but people do it. We didn't, you know, in my previous marketing jobs, we didn't usually sell our print work to people. And so it's been really, really heartwarming to see the response to it. Um, we made buttons and pins and people wear them. A really interesting uh, one, we've had a two- Fashion houses license the the truth is hard line and product. One Sakai, which is a Japanese uh, fashion house, did so, and 
their merchandise ended up as a window in Saks Fifth Avenue. So we had a New York Times ad campaign <laughs> in Saks's windows in New York. Um, we've had multiple celebrities buy the their clothing and wear it and Instagram it. So not us paying for an influencer program, but people pay you know choosing to do so on their own. Right. So that's been the response, and it's been really great. Really a testament to if you can find a, a an expression of your brand that means something to the end audience, you can you can provoke a response. And if you find the right moment to do it. Yeah. Well you've you've nailed it for most marketers today, trying to figure out how to turn their marketing into content that people would actually pay money for. They're paying for your ads. These prints of these ads. It's so awesome. It's awesome. Yeah, I think it's really important that we we really tried to it's really important that it starts from from something that's really true about us, right? And so, and that's why that distinction is really important to us is that this, these ads are about the process of journalism and we really try to stick with that. And, you know, it's really important that we, we show a breadth of that work and that we really try to, you know, we think the New York Times is about, at, at its corest, is about seeking the truth and helping people understand the world. And we try to bring that to life in advertising. You know, advertising is a pretty unforgiving format particularly a 30 second television, you don't, you don't get a lot of time. And so how do you tell that story in a really authentic way that ultimately the end user cares about, but is also emotional. So I glad you like it. That's good. That's good. I know we're going to talk about the two more extensions, I guess, of that or maybe their new versions. But before we do that, you mentioned fake news and I just want to get your thoughts. Like what, what has been the impact of this whole fake news cultural phenomenon on the New York Times? I mean, yeah. in, some, in some ways as an outsider, I look at it and I go, wow, your digital subscriptions are going up. But, but the other, the other, there has to be kind of a, a more holistic impact, I feel like, going on, especially yeah. to the people that work there. Yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's a couple of things. I mean, on, on the cautious side, you're absolutely right. You know, long term, the new, you know, what we do, independent original reporting worth paying for, requires that people know what that is and be news literate and be able to tell the difference between opinion and news and tell the difference between, you know, thoroughly reported work and, and just things that are happening and things people are seeing. And so that's really important. And I think we, we worry, we worry greatly about whether the conditions for that to happen exist and whether you know, everything's just getting all lumped in together and whether the media, this concept of the media being a single monolithic thing, which could not be less true, but is certainly the way people talk, you know, how that affairs on us long term. But I will also say that this discussion about fake news and the and what's happened on the platforms and whether people are getting a good experience in their newsfeed and whether they're really, you know, or whether it's counterproductive is is helpful to to us in particular, because I think it's helping people realize that quality reporting really does matter. And when you get it, you have to find it. But when you get it, you really do get a difference of understanding. And so I think what we see is more and more people seeking it out, more and more people being willing to come, not just read whatever news comes to them, or even the New York Times, you know, on a platform, but really seeking it out on our platform. And for us, as a subscription product, it really is required that you want to engage regularly with our product for you to be wanting to pay for it. And so that's the big difference, I think, between 
perfectly reasonable news sources that have a that are mostly or completely an advertising driven model and the small subset of the industry that are subscription driven you know is we really need to have deep engagement in order for somebody to pay for it and i think it's a really helpful positive cycle that we get in and incentives because it puts the new york times in a position that if you can't tell right away that this is a better quality of reporting and that you get a better quality of understanding as a result of it, the extra work and the payment that we ask for, you're just not going to do it. Right. That's a good point. That's a great point. Well, one of the extensions of this campaign came out and it was, I guess, called He Said, She Said. And it came out, I believe, last year during the Golden Globes for context, you know, historical reference. Harvey Weinstein was in the news. You know, there was the hashtag Me Too movement just starting. One, I mean, what was the response to that as an advertisement and as marketing? But you know, maybe why was it important for the Times to why to weigh in on that? Yeah, so you're right. It was about a year after that first ad that we talked about. The truth is hard. Yeah, and we had, you know, our reporters had been pivotal in both the um, Bill O'Reilly story and the Weinstein story, and. Are, you know, Jody Cantor and Megan Tuohy in, in particular on the Weinstein story had really done a lot of that work. And so we thought it was a really good time to talk about the role that journalism played in uncovering that story. And while, you know, the Me Too movement happened as a result and was, comes out of that, the reporting itself's role was to get the facts on the table and to hold power to account. And so we thought it was a perfect ad and a good pivot for the campaign to move from that broad first statement of basically that, you know, you're on a journey for the truth and journalism plays a role in that to talk about a, a body of work and a specific set of articles of investigative reporting that as a result of that reporting has prompted society and certain industries to look at themselves and to ask if change should happen. You know, we don't think journalism is about determining the course of that change. But we do think journalism is about getting the facts on the table and asking the question about asking people the question about whether they want the world to be different. And I think that's what that reporting did. And so it was a, it was a, you know, it was a great, I think, provocation for us in marketing to say, hey, we want you to know that the journalism played a role in the starting. And, and so that's why we did it. And the response to that was, frankly, even stronger you know, even more organic views on it, a lot of chatter and conversation about it. And, you know, it was as a marketer, it was such a privilege to, you know, do a very small part to shine even more light on the work that these really tireless and completely impressive journalists were able to do. Well, then you, you followed that up with the truth is worth it campaign. And this one, I mean, I, I have enjoyed the other two, but I feel like you keep raising the bar each time you do this because this takes you into the daily, you know, the daily lives, if you will, of a reporter chasing the story. And I'm a stickler for visuals. Um, and so you move from more of a black and white concept into showing your fantastic photojournalism too in some of these. And, you know, where did the idea come from to pivot? To the work, it sounds like it may have already been embedded all along. You talked about the process of journalism, but was there a moment where you said, "Hey, we're going to extend this, and it's, you know, we're going to make it even more visual than it has been to, to date?" Well, let's separate the message and the and the visual device part. Um, yeah. we'll talk about both, but on the on the message evolution, 
we had always sort of envisioned getting more direct and over over time. There was definitely a bit of, you know, see where it goes. And for us, what we thought that supplementing those first two messages with a getting closer to, you know, all this work we're talking about, it's worth it. It's worth it for you and it's worth it for us. Um, and so it's a bit of a statement of impact, a little like the the he said, she said ad, but it's also a lot of a statement about the work that goes into it. And, you know, if I'm honest, we're also, I think we've been uh, inspired by our, our podcast, The Daily, the, the hit podcast, where I think we've really shown, and Michael Barbaro and, and Lisa Tobin and team have really shown that the we can we can get people interested in the process of journalism. And so we thought that showing that in advertising and showing that process and 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 really trying to say that subscribing is not a call to action for us in those ads, it's a brand message. We're trying to differentiate that the work at the Times is different than the type of journalism you can get in most other places, and therefore it's worth paying for. In some ways, it's a statement about this small category as much as it is a statement about the Times. Um, we think that's really important. It's actually a an interesting sort of mindset thing that comes with me from my consumer products days is, you know, thinking about the times purely as a consumer product, because it is, and thinking about it as like, what, what are we in at the moment? Well, we're in a situation where we're trying to grow our category. We have a very small category. You know, there are 175 million digital news readers in the US and less than 15 million are paying for a digital news product. And so We've got this, you know, in the Times' numbers, we've got 4.3 million subscribers. So there's lots, you know, for us, it's it's not about moving that by ones and twos, but about this big sea change of getting people, getting a large group of people to think they need to pay for the news. And I think the truth that's worth it was a way to try to put that in consumer relevant language to say that paying for the news is a is something you should think about. Yeah. No, that makes sense. No. Where did the visual treatment uh, enter in? I did say I would talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think also we've always wanted to do it. An interesting thing about the first two campaigns, the the truth is hard and the truth has a voice. We also were pretty, we were moving pretty fast. Uh, both of those campaigns were made in six weeks or less. And so the visual device was sort of, was both, we thought a, a stark contrast and a great way to stand out, but also it was a practical reality. And we've always wanted to do more with visuals because the Times is a, a lot of our story today is as much visual as it is words, but we needed to find the right way to do it. And so with this campaign and by talking about the process that we go through, it lets us create this sort of not entirely linear story, but that tries to help you feel like you understand how hard it is for a journalist to do their job. If you want to understand how marketing is changing and how that will affect your brand, you need Future Proof, the podcast from Kantar that tells you how to find growth. Created in conjunction with Side Business School at Oxford University, the Future Proof podcast provides a unique perspective on what truly makes a difference. To understand what's winning in marketing, subscribe to Future Proof, a Kantar podcast now. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. 
But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. I think Droga5, who came up with that campaign, I think did a really masterful job of making you sort of see how, how a story comes together, how the journalists may actually end up at the end in a different place than where they start because they start with a question and they go wherever it'll lead. And you also see in some of the executions, all the different things that can happen to try to thwart you from getting to that story. Some of them being misdirections, some of them being more physical threats, hacking, just all the things that a journalist may go through as they're trying to help you see the truth and understand the truth. And I think what it does at the end of that is lets you see that the journalistic process really is special, something to cherish and protect, and something that, that, that's worth, you know, that brings you a value that's worth you paying for. Well, I, I think, you know, your notion about building the category and, you know, trying to grow the category and obviously attach yourself as the, as a leader in that category uh, is something that's lost today. I think on a lot of categories, I keep using that word, unfortunately, Yeah. but, it, and there's a lot of, I think there's a lot to it from all different angles, from, you know, a brand equity perspective growing the category and standing for the category. If you are a leader in that category can submit you for, for years. And then I've talked to neuroscience folks too, that, you know, the stronger those connections are between your brand and whatever it is that I'm going to, to, to get obviously puts you in a top position as they think about where to go get that thing. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just want to applaud you because I, I, I think it's a kind of a lost, a lost focus in many marketing settings today. So Good job. Thanks for saying that. And, you know, I think it's it's one of the things I love about this job. And it, it's really challenging because we have to operate on multiple levels and timeframes all at the same time. You know, that journalism is a is a tough business. It's no secret that the industry has a, a lot of challenges. And even though we at the Times are are doing well and we're proud of what we've accomplished, we don't, we don't kid ourselves that the future still needs to be determined. And so as we do that, we need to win today. You know, we need, you know, I talked about the long term of growing the category, but we have to go from 4.3 to 4.35 to 4.4, you know, keep going, keep going. And so we, we do have a performance mindset. And, you know, in every new subscriber, every single new subscriber really does matter as we attempt to, you know, as we attempt to pay for the world's greatest news gathering operation in, on the planet. But, we also take a really long term view. And it's one of the great things about the Times. You know, the Times has been owned for, over a hundred years by the Sulzberger family. And even though it's a public company today, they really direct it with a long-term view. And so we can make the right moves for the long-term while we also worry about the short-term. And so it, it allows us and allows me as a marketer to say, yes, a good part of our job is to build the category and to put in place the right conditions where people want to pay for the news over time. But we also have to make sure we're building a marketing organization that let that empowers us and enables us to win, you know, month to month, quarter to quarter. Right, right. You're talking a little bit about the business model and you've obviously got subscriptions. You've got increasingly numbers of digital subscriptions as well. And yet, you know, advertising is still a critical component, I would imagine. 
you know, how do you balance those two things, right? And do you, are you moving, do you ever foresee a world where the Times is primarily a Netflix style subscription, meaning there's, there's no advertising? Or do you believe that, you know, no, it's always going to, as far as I can tell, it's always going to coexist with advertising. So we do believe that there's a role for advertising in our model. And I don't, we don't foresee a world where we don't have advertising. It is true today that the lion's share of our revenues come from subscriptions, which is a switch from, you know, a decade ago, a pretty dramatic switch. And so Back in 2013, we made a commitment uh, with our innovation report and our path forward, as we call it, to be a subscription-first business. And I think every year since then and every day since then, it's become more clear what that means for us. And it's not that we don't have an advertising business. It's not that we don't invest in our advertising business. And we certainly value and appreciate our, our advertising partners. But what we find is that the more we grow our consumer business, and the connection we have with the end user, the better our ad business gets. And that may be counterintuitive, but they come together. I mean, ultimately what advertisers want, they want a deeply engaged audience that they can tell their message to in appropriate ways. And the Times has that and has that more than it's ever had. And so we see the two things as actually more synergistic from a business model perspective. And that having the consumer subscription first mindset actually lifts all boats. Yeah, I haven't thought about it like that, but it makes perfect sense that it's engaging enough for somebody to reach into their pocket and give you money for it. It's going to be even that much more attractive to advertisers. And it obviously puts pressure on us because once you're paying for it, it puts pressure on us to make sure that that experience is the best one you can have. I mean, ultimately, you've got to seek out Times content, both physically with your time and also pay for it. And so we, we treat that from the reader and from the subscriber with the utmost care. But, you know, we think that when, our, you know, when, we're, when we're showing them advertising that, that they appreciate, that supplements their experience, you know, I think that it, uh, it all works out. Well, you're expanding your product offering. Uh, you mentioned the daily earlier. You know, it's a podcast format. You've got a cooking subscription as well. Tell me a little bit about this cooking product and what it is and, and how you're launching it. So, so well, so we have a, a standalone cooking and a Crosswords app. The Crosswords one's been around for, for several years and cooking's been around for a couple now. About a year ago, cooking went to a pay model um, and Crosswords has been there for a couple of years. And so they're, they're standalone subscriptions, depending on your package with the times. If you get a full package, you may have access or you can get cooking or crosswords on your own. And you know we're seeing good success with them. It becomes a way to either add more value and, and get people into a higher package if it's with the core subscription, or for people who might not want to pay for the times for the core news product, gives them a way to connect with the brand and, and pay for the brand for the content that they want. And so it's you know been really popular. Uh, we started just a couple of weeks ago did our first brand campaign for cooking. We've done uh, direct response work, but it was our first brand campaign for it, uh, which we unveiled in the end of January, and really helping people see that, you know, how how does the Times journalistic philosophy translate into a, a cooking and a recipe app? Yeah. No, it looks phenomenal. I haven't, haven't checked it out yet in, in its entirety, but it 
it looks like something I would use <laughs> well, it, <laughs> or at least my house would use quite a bit. It's great. You know, I think the, the thing about, about, you know, New York times readers in general is they're really curious people. They, they, they want to engage with the world. They see the world as an exciting place that should be learned through cultures and through other people. And so that becomes a, a whole world thing. Of course, that includes politics and core news and policy, but it also, it includes business, it includes recipes, it includes meditation and, and service journalism, uh, it includes culture and fashion. And the, the, the newspaper always did that. And we're, you know, in, we're trying to carry that forward into the digital era. And it, it really is the thing that sets the times apart as we help you understand the entire world and your entire world, not just a narrow subset of something. Right, right. Well, you you know, you're also building campaigns for the daily. And obviously, I love podcasts. Right. <laughs> talking on one. But uh, the notion of advertising a podcast in the real world with, I think you're using out of home in some instances, you know, at train stations or bus depots. What was the notion behind that? Was it... I can't escape right now the Mobituaries podcast that CBS has launched because it seems to be everywhere that CBS talks about anything. But you know, what was your thought process behind bringing a podcast into the physical world and how's it performed so far? Well, we, I think we had two things we were trying to do. One is we'd love, we wanted to see if we could continue to grow the audience and, and expand it to new audiences. I mean, The Daily was doing well on its own. Right. The top, the top right. podcast. Yeah, the top podcast. But we wanted to see if we could continue to fuel that and, and introduce it to new people who might not have yet tried it. And then secondly, The Daily has is also just a great expression of what we think makes our journalism different, not just The Daily different, but our entire journalism. You know, it's become a way for people to see the, to hear the story behind the news stories that they're hearing and to hear how those stories got told and to understand the process of journalism. There've been lots of moments in the daily where you, you get to see the journalists as people, you know, whether that's getting stuck at a Kinko's uh, like Mike Schmidt was in an early episode and needing to borrow the phone behind the desk, you know, and, and just people don't think of New York times journalists as going into a Kinko's and putting a quarter into a machine, you know, and so it really made it humanized us in our work. There was actually the episode today, I don't know if you listened, but uh, the very opening gets cut off because the, uh, the reporter uh, has to go see a breaking news announcement from the administration. And literally, Michael Labarro is left there on the other end, waiting to restart the podcast interview. And other places might cut that out. The Daily leaves it in because that's exactly this is, you know, journalism's happening real time and it's messy. And we're not trying to hide that from anyone. And so... Back to the advertising, you know, I think the campaign was a way to to emphasize that and show that to more people is that the daily is not just the daily, it's also the New York Times and is a reason to connect with the journalism. You know, we've been happy to see the dailies bringing a whole new set of, of listeners, broader, younger, into listening. And many of them are going on to read more than they did. And as they read more, they subscribe. And so you know, that's a, that's a great user journey for us and doesn't necessarily have to work that way, but it does. And so we wanted to lean into that. Well, you've got, you've got apps across a number of different niche areas. You've got podcasts, you've got obviously your print, 
what's what's next? What do you got? Can you share anything about the future of where the times is going to look like? Well, you said you didn't want me to break news here. So <laughs> without, uh, it won't be very specific, but I, I think right. the thing for us is that we help, we seek the truth and we help people understand the world. And that may seem obvious, but it's taken a long time to, to really be able to articulate it well for ourselves. And as long as we're fulfilling that mission, you know, the world's going to continue to evolve and change and people are going to interact with news differently. We'll continue to evolve along with that. And it's, it's staying true to that core mission, though, that we have to do. And that gives us our North Star. You know, this business is so hard because you really do have to pivot very fast. And it's really difficult to come up with things that make money. And so you got to be willing to change a lot of things. So what don't you change? Because otherwise you stand for nothing. And that's what I think that journalistic process and how it helps you understand the world is the part we won't change. I'm sure, you know, we're, we're making um, innovations into voice. We've certainly looked at AR and for that VR, and we'll continue to, we're doing great work in visual journalism, which we'll continue to do. And we'll continue to pivot as things change and technology advances. But that core proposition of the brand hasn't and won't change. Well, I've got a few more questions and I'd love to kind of switch gears if it's okay. If yeah, sure. Talk about you um, versus the times. And I love asking this question to folks that come on the show, which is, you know, is there an experience of your past that defines or makes up who you are today? You know, I, I grew up in uh, Baltimore City um, and went to public school in Baltimore. And so I grew up with lots of cultures and, and diversity around me. And I think that's, that's something that stuck with me my entire life. You know, the thing that, that united all of us was a group of people who all smart, all trying to, you know, all trying to learn and, and come together as a community. And so that, that's something that stuck with me. It's stuck with me as I, you know, as I think about building our team here. How do we get diverse experiences and build a, a single unifying culture from that diversity? Uh, and, and that's something that I, I, I keep in my marketing and I keep in my personal life and I keep, uh, you know, as we try to build our team. Yeah, no, I love it. Love it. I'm a public school kid myself, so I understand what you, you mean. <laughs> That's great. What advice would you give your younger self if you were to start all over again? There are two things that I really believe in, and I think uh, my experience has you know, fortified in my head. The first is the, the more things change, the more they stay the same. And I'll talk more about that. And the second is the belief of, of right brain, left brain. Um, and they sort of come together for me. You know, The great thing happens when those two things come together, art and science. Uh, and so on, on the first one, I look at marketing and marketing in crisis and whatever else you want to hear about. And you know, if you if you take a if you zoom back and take a longer term view, I actually think some of the basic truths, you know, go back to the David Ogilvy or the fictional Don Draper era. Right. <laughs> the idea of basic brand truths are more true today than they've ever been. And that as soon as you forget that you need to stand for something and have an authentic and committed expression of that something you stand for that goes over time is when you get in trouble, right? You start chasing too much, whatever works for you this moment, and then you zoom out a little bit and you, you're not sure what, people aren't sure what you stand for anymore. Uh, and it happens slowly to where you can't see it. And so I think that that basics of marketing of, of, of the things that were true a long time ago stay true even as how we express them and the vehicles that we have to deliver have to evolve. And that gets to the second point, which is that 
I have done this in my career, but you know, committing to both, how do you develop and lead for creative and creativity and ideas? Because ultimately the emotional connection is still what drives businesses long-term. But how do you supplement that and with the latest technology, with data-driven insights, and with a real speed, I think it's probably the biggest difference both over my career and moving from consumer products to a direct-to-consumer digital business. We're changing things every minute, and we're expecting to learn how they did minutes later. I've said this in, in other interviews, but you know we've generally made all our campaigns in six-week kind of timeframes, and we've just got to build the capability to do that. So that's a very different mindset that I think is... Frankly, it's more fun, but it's hard. Right, right. Well, what what keeps you what keeps you going? What fuels you? I think professionally, what I had said when I was in consumer products was that I like turning the mundane into the magical. You know, take a deodorant category and make it such that a nineteen-year-old boy will want to put his deodorant on his sink. Right. People can see it. You know, and like people would have said that was impossible, <laughs> and we did it. You know, hair care. Certainly, it's a category that has always mattered to a lot of people, but it's a sea of sameness. And I think why we were able to turn around and win was that we, we, we really doubled down on talking about what made our products different um, and what made our philosophies different rather than just chasing everyone else. Pinterest was then about working to broaden who they appealed to and make it matter to more people. And then, you know, the Times is certainly not mundane in any way, but you know, what we've been able to do is is proactively insert ourselves in culture and tell our story more overtly and more proactively rather than just let our story be told for us. And so it's that idea of sort of taking something and not making culture from it, but running alongside culture and inserting it into culture that I think is um, and putting that magic into things that people buy and p- interact with. That is what keeps me going in this business. That's great. I got two quick questions for you, I think. They may not be that quick, but we'll see. Marketers tend to be students of the business and, and watch other things out in the world. Are there any brands or companies that you follow or you think others should be taking notice of? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to uh, say the obvious, but I, I think what, what, what Nike's been doing recently and you know, and, and how they recover from periods where they're not as happy with their performance I think it's just really impressive. And they do that without overly pivoting, right? Mm-hmm. Without just chasing something. Um, and so, you know, what I think made their most recent campaign, uh, assuming that is the most recent campaign, but the Kaepernick thing, such right. a thing, wasn't just the great execution they did, but was the fact that they've had a commitment there. Right. You know, and the fact that they had, he was already a spokesperson for them. And so they were doubling down on something and on a philosophy that they'd been doing. I think too often brands look at their mission or their purpose as something that they bolt on top of their business. And I think it never goes well. And I think same thing with the times, you know, this place has been a mission driven company since a hundred years before that term was even invented. And so, you know, the the harder part for us has been to to have the clarity of what the business is. (laughs) And so we've been trying to put our business on top of our mission and I think a lot of places put their mission on top of their business, and I think that doesn't go well. And so I, I admire how Nike seamlessly fuses the two together. Because yeah. Otherwise, people see through it. No, that's great. That's great. Well, last question for you. What do you think the future of marketing is going to hold? Well, at the risk of repeating myself, I, <laughs> I think it is this 
you know, I think it will be art and science together. I think it's people who can really dive deep into the data and understand their audience and what they want and connect with them, but can do that with creativity and with nuance and, and in a way that is emotional first and, and functional, but, but not without the functional. Got it. Well, David, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It's been a good discussion. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me with writing and editing by Kevin Greeley, social media support by Megan Woods, art and graphic design by Sarah Dell. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners, and you can contact me at marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you'll also find complete show notes with links to anything we talk about on any episode. You can also search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. If you want to understand how marketing is changing and how that will affect your brand, you need Future Proof, the podcast from Kantar that tells you how to find growth. Created in conjunction with Side Business School at Oxford University, the Future Proof podcast provides a unique perspective on what truly makes a difference. To understand what's winning in marketing, subscribe to Future Proof, a Kantar podcast now.